Hey, Hossein, how's it going, man? How's it going today? How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. I'm, I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited that we get to uh, connect today and chat a little bit about Shopify Plus and development, kind of some of the cool things you guys are doing at your agency. Yeah, I'm uh, very excited as well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So just to you know, introduce you, we have we have Hossein Maleki, who is one of the founders of Satel Creative up in uh, British Columbia. And Hossein, you want to give us a little background on you and your company and what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been around for a while. I started the company when I was uh, a bit younger uh, in 2001. Uh, but at that time, I started the company doing some web development on my own, then accounting software, then retail software. And in 2008, 2009, I took on a couple of e-commerce projects. At the time, platforms were really uh, clunky and hard to deal with. So um, got out of the e-commerce business, started working in the ERP business, and then came around to Shopify in 2012 uh, because our client wanted to connect to a whole bunch of uh, uh, e-commerce stores for the brands that they distributed. So, so uh, at that time, I came across Shopify, great platform, decided to you know, really invest around it and uh, best decision I made because, you know, with them, we grew. And uh, over the years, because of that background experience, we got recognized for being a company that uh, has expertise in very complicated, complex implementations. So for that, we were part of the initial group of companies to be uh, brought into Shopify Plus uh, partner program. And since then, we've been doing a lot of e-commerce development and all sorts of development around uh, digital products around e-commerce as well. That's awesome. Super cool. And give us a little background, like even further than that, like how did you get started like in development period and with the business? Oh, great question. Um, so uh, when um, I, I come from Iran, we immigrated to uh, uh, Canada in 2001. Uh, so I knew uh, uh, for the last two years of high school that I'm not going to be going to university in Iran. I was lucky enough that my parents had the ability to uh, immigrate to Canada and we had that plan. So I had extra time and I decided because I really like had taken interest in development and computers. So I decided to take a couple of Microsoft courses on my own, um, do a couple of certifications. At that time, I thought I'm really cool that I was like learning those, although it was like very beginner. Uh, but still, it really got me into it. And when I came here and we had an immigration condition to start a business within two years, because my dad's age was over the age of 55 and we couldn't come as a skilled worker class. Uh, so, and then things got messy in Iran. They had to go back to Iran. I started the business. And at that point, I decided that like, you know, I'm passionate enough about computer science and I was taking computer science courses in college and university here that I was like, okay, this is what I gotta do. So that's when I started like really learning. So I would promise clients that like, I'm going to deliver on something I had never heard of, read a book, research on it, and just learn it and do it and deliver it. That's how we all get started, right? <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. Man, you've seen, you've, you've seen the, you've been in the game since the, with the full internet revolution, right? 2002, man. Not only that, because I lived in Iran, I feel like I saw like a big technology shift because Iran is like so many years behind, or at least at that time it was. So I always feel like I got lucky enough to see a big perspective of shift in technology. That's awesome. So cool. And so t 
tell us a little bit about like what type of what type of projects you guys are working right now and what you guys specialize in at the agency. Yeah, for sure. So so we have a couple of um, um, areas that we really uh, I think like my team uh, really shines with their expertise, which is you know you have like the scalable, uh, secure implementations where you you have brands that when they launch something it goes you know, eight, 10,000 checkouts a minute, and it needs to really scale. People are tr always trying to get away with free stuff and things like that. Uh, and, you know, the privacy compliance around that and all those kinds of things. And then on the other hand, we have um, a lot of B2B clients where we, you know, sort of do things that other people consider boring, but for us is very interesting in terms of, you know, their, their whole, um, uh, architecture of like systems that they plan, the ideal state they plan for the future and the roadmap of like a few years to really make those big changes of ERP implementation and, you know, so on and so forth. So, so we have like these kind of like areas that we, we do well in. We, we like to always, you know, do cool development uh, where, um, you know, we help our clients grow and then we grow with them. I know that's cliche, but that's like essentially what has worked well for us is to work with our clients in that long-term uh, kind of way. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. What uh, I'm just curious because I know you you guys are doing very intricate projects. You know, it's not like just building a front-end site with a marketplace with like 10, 15, 20 products. I'm sure you guys are doing some pretty deep integrations into the business requirements that some of these larger brands have. They're potentially omni-channel as well. Like, um, you know, another thing that I wanted to mention too, and that I'm just curious to ask about, I know a big thing with scaling brands that are like hitting the eight, nine figure level is like actually being able to have a proper ERP integration with Shopify. Like, is that something that you guys, you guys work on as well that you guys specialize in? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the value that a, um, a good ERP implementation will bring uh, a brand is again separation of concerns, uh, because like you know as you're you know doing everything in Shopify you and and you are like and actually that's like a you know you're a victim of your own success like you've grown enough that it's like really hard to manage everything you know do your uh, costing do your uh, you know inventory management uh, all those uh, sorts of things it becomes yeah it becomes very difficult so then you know if you have the separation of concern where you have an ERP system that, you know, satisfies your finance department, satisfies like your inventory needs, uh, you know, communicates with your warehouse better, all those sorts of things. Now, all of a sudden you have your uh, e-commerce layer, which, you know, um, I'm a huge advocate of Shopify Plus, obviously, but if, if your Shopify Plus is like run for your e-commerce, it does it really, really well. And your marketing team can just focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as you get into, you know, having like multiple hubs for distribution, customer support teams, inventory, thousands of SKUs, everything becomes more complicated as the business gets bigger. What would you say is a, is a good, I, I think this is a question I hear a lot when it comes to scaling brands that are like hitting the seven, eight figure mark, high seven, eight figure mark. Like when's a good time for them to actually invest into an ERP? Would you say there's a revenue revenue milestone that they say? Is it a skew milestone? Is it like a business complexity that you see that it's like you're a big brand now? It's going to cost this much to do this integration. You need to do it. It's going to save you a little time and money and energy. And this is something that's really going to be necessary 
for any potential acquisition in the future too, to make sure you have the right infrastructure in order. That, that's a very, very uh, uh, good point that people uh, don't plan ahead um, uh, usually for. Uh, but, you know, one of the good indicators in, in today's software world, we all know that we should not use one system for everything. Right. You know, you go for a system for your reviews, your email provider is different, your um, uh, uh, e-commerce is different. You have multiple channels, you have like all these different systems. So so and that's the right way to go, because each of them do that really well. Now, when you realize that you are being successful, but the amount of data that you have is uh, too dispersed among these systems and it's getting convoluted to manage and run your business and it's becoming important now to know your profitability, real profitability. And it's becoming important for you to be able to, you know, satisfy some, uh, you know, to your point, organization for um, possibly selling, for running a good uh, 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 loan with a bank uh, to grow your business. All those sorts of things. I, I always call it like, you know, now we're really growing up to my team whenever we take steps like that in my own business. But I think it's like a step of maturation of a company that um, um, it's you know, really like becomes key and necessary. Now for brands that are not there yet, or they think they're close to it, or they're there and like they don't have the time to deal with it. My recommendation always is that sit down, plan to work work on your business rather than working, you know, day to day, like put that time aside, even if it is a Sunday morning, if it even if it is an evening, work on it, plan that ideal state you want to get to, which includes your new systems and an ERP system and and you know what's what each system keeps as a source of truth. Like design that, and then create phases to get there. You don't have to like do that all overnight. It's not a big haul of like migration of everything. That's just like spend six months doing it. A successful business will not have time to do that. You got to break it down into phases to slowly get there. For sure, for sure, it's not something that's just going to happen within a couple of weeks. It's going to be a multi-phase approach. And also, as I guess, as you know, any e-commerce business matures the requirements are now changing, right? You might now be international. You might now have multiple hubs that you're sending inventory in and out of, multiple you know, manufacturing partners, like so many different things going on. Um, what, I'm, I'm just curious, like let's say I'm running an e-commerce business, fashion brand, say I've got like 800 SKUs, I'm, I'm doing, let, let's say I'm doing like eight, nine million a year, 10 million a year, I'm looking to grow to 14, 15 next year. Um, how much does an ERP integration cost for a business like that? And how much time should should I, as a, like if I was a business owner in that state, how much time should I, uh, should I expect it to really take for a full integration to take off? Uh, that's a tough question, but I, I think like the way that I would go about it is, um, you know, Going, going at it from the pace of your, your own team's understanding of it and, and knowing like what they need to look at. So one, one key thing is like just implementing an ERP system is not like, you know, a solution for everything. So I think like really planning around it is really key. I think if you do plan around it, it becomes really easy to decide what kind of ERP you need for your next year and the next three years, because you could go with like a you know, an expensive one that like costs you like, you know, 30 grand a year or, or something like that. And then the implementation, like, you know, it really depends on, you know, how well you've kept your information and how organized things are. But again, like it can cost another like 30, 40, 50 
thousand dollars. But the the key thing is that like to do it at the you know right time in the right way for your team. And I think that you know uh, find an ERP that it's a match for what your needs are in the next three years, not just today, because you can go with something that is like cost effective. But then again, like you'll be in the same problem in two years. You're gonna outgrow it. It's kind of like being aware, being in an office and knowing. Being in an office that's going to fit 10 people, you've got three right now, but you know you're going to have 40 in another year and you signed a five-year lease. Yeah. As they say, be aggressive, but be realistic as well. Like, you know, plan like for a lot of growth, but then again, at the same time, just uh, know that you're going to grow anyway. So you have to plan for it. Very cool. I'm curious, have you guys worked on any projects uh, with brands that potentially are taking like a full omni-channel approach in-house and leveraging the Shopify POS system at the moment? So Shopify POS, um, uh, not that much. Shopify POS is a really great fit for, you know, uh, startup style, uh, mom and pop shop kind of style, uh, uh, selling it like, you know, kind of pop-up shops, uh, things, uh, you know, setups. Uh, but the thing is omni-channel, absolutely. Like retail, multi-location retail. We even have a client that um, you know, we built them an in-store kiosk that they had in UK and they wanted to implement the same thing in Canada. And, um, you know, sort of we implemented their e-commerce on Shopify, but then their kiosk is headless connecting to their Shopify. Uh, and they have like a POS as well that is integrated. No way. Headless kiosk. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very, uh, very cool technology. Lots of challenges with hardware, but like it's, you know, it was worth it. Cool. Cool project. That brings up another question for me. Are you guys like solely focused on headless like front end right now? How did you how do you guys really work on the front end for for brands that are looking for a new new design? Um, I have very strong feelings about um, headless because I think that there are the right times to use it and, and wrong times because I think um, there's a lot of push for, um, you know, in, in our industry, you know, this like when we have buzzwords and there's a lot of push for it. Um, and, and to me, it's like, there are cases where actually going headless, it really, um, ties the hands of the marketing people for the brand to run with it. You know, one of the things about Shopify, especially Shopify 2.0 is that every page can be customized. People can create landing pages as they want. Um, you know, all the features that comes with Shopify, um, new features, it would just be available, like, you know, to those teams. Um, so, so I'm like, you know, if you don't need it, don't do it. There are special cases where headless is going to be very key. Uh, for example, we have like a, um, uh, iOS and Android, uh, unity app, which is like an AR app. And it's like the, the, it's headless on top of Shopify because like the customer is like a Shopify customer and like all that, or like a kiosk or some uh, special cases where like e-commerce is like a small part of like the whole, uh, setup and performance is extremely important. Um, then you can go with that. But again, most of the time, I think that themes are uh, more than um, uh, a fit for like businesses, because again, with headless, you you should not plan for a lot of like updating of features because there's, it's very difficult to do. I think it works really well too, if it's like smaller SKU sites, just overall, something where it's not too many, there's not too many, you know, options. It's like point, click, buy, out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and not a lot of plans to grow that number of SKUs and more features and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, brings me to my next question. Like, 
Um, what do you guys do to really optimize like overall front end page speed right now with all the apps that are in the app ecosystem with brands? That's it. You know, I, I know it's a big thing, even when you spend some time to like source through code to make sure that things are working well, like it just seems like that is one limitation of Shopify overall, where your page score is never as great as you would want it to, or your 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 load score is never as great as you what you'd like it to see, right? Yeah, um, as as a uh, com as an agency that now has like an app for the App Store as well, um, uh, I, I would say that like be very very conservative on how many apps you install and what apps you choose to use versus like, you know, you might be able to get by without it or like, you know, spend a little bit of money on building it within your team. Um, the, the reason for that is that to your point, when an app company makes an app, they can't customize it. So they don't load a lot of stuff on every page that you do, uh, that you have. And um, the um, other thing that is pretty important about apps is that there are apps that are very backend heavy or they're designed within the Shopify 2.0 system where actually you just like add the, you know, um, the widget within your, your theme and Shopify actually ranks those if it affects your, your performance negatively. Those are like much safer apps rather than apps that you install that they're supposed to just make changes to your theme, show up on the front end and, and you know, sort of like they just inject a lot of code into your store because now all of a sudden, if you install 15 of those, who's gonna know what which one is really slowing down your site? And, and performance has been really important. Totally, you don't know until you pull it out and start from scratch or, or you know, yeah, I agree. Well, with that being said, let's let's hear a little bit more about like what apps you guys are designing for the Shopify ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. So, so our main app that is just released right now is called Together. Uh, so together app is for uh, uh, reducing uh, returns for merchants um, in a bit of a unique way because a lot of people are like, well, like that's genius. Like, how do you do that? Well, it, it has like, you know, it has a fit um, and, and, you know, who uh, we think this uh, app works with and for is merchants who are local merchants who uh, they're. Uh, uh, customers really, you know, they have a good brand loyalty and they want to like keep building on that. Um, and the premise of the app is that, you know, uh, as a merchant, I set what products, you know, uh, this qualifies for and I set a discount percent. And then as a customer, when I'm browsing those uh, products, I get the opportunity to upgrade uh, my, uh, my product to a final sale. And the value proposition for the customer is that you know, as a customer, I'm helping the merchant that I really like and I care about because uh, we know we all shop from uh, giant marketplaces and we all feel guilty about it. But at the same time, there are brands that we actually have an emotional connection to. We like their story and we want to support them, either it being a local store or a small shop. And then the second value proposition is that, you know, you are helping the environment. Um, there is 500 billion tons of waste from e-commerce returns every year. Um, that we, we produce as human beings. And then number three, um, here's a discount code for uh, uh, X percent that the merchant has set for your next order. So essentially that app is like designed to kind of bring, you know, kind of like a, uh, um, you know, it came from the pandemic because like we as customers, we showed that we really care about our local businesses. 
And uh, I think like, you know, we can, we can hopefully provide a tool for a little tool for like merchants to do better with their customers and really increase uh, that brand loyalty. And, uh, you know, sort of it's a win-win-win situation, including for the planet. <laughs> That's awesome. So cool. So would, would you, could you give me an example of like, what would be a really good use case? Would you see like a local fashion boutique or, uh, you know, like, is there a specific use case that works really well for this? Yeah. It, one of the best use cases is like the trying, um, um, you know, thing that people do, especially like with local businesses or like, you know, businesses that offer free returns. Um, so a lot of customers, they buy multiple things to try out and return uh, everything except one. Um, and, and a lot of times this is not a, uh, you know, malicious thing. Like, you know, I mean, never it's a malicious thing that the customer does that, but it's like something that, hey, it's offered to me, I'm going to use it. But this is one of those things that gets them to think, hey, I know this brand. Uh, for example, Doer is one of the brands here in Vancouver that I love and I buy a lot of things from them. I know my size. I really don't need to think about it. If I'm buying something, um, and, you know, I know that I can keep it so I can actually commit to that. Uh, shoes is a very like, you know, big one. Uh, we did tests with uh, a couple of like shoe uh, stores that worked well. And local is a huge one. Even people who don't even plan on returning, we're getting that they are operating. Uh, their order, first of all, they get a discount code for the next time. So that builds loyalty, but they also want to just show their support for these local businesses. Oh, so cool. Do you guys have any other apps in the roadmap that you guys are thinking of? Yeah. So we have a, a theme that is coming out. Uh, hopefully it's in review. Uh, we have a theme for the theme store, a 2.0 theme, and then we have two more planned. Uh, planned. And uh, yeah, and then we have like a, um, you know, sort of like a, again, a separate AR <laughs> app for um, uh, Android and iOS, which was again, uh, born in the pandemic. That's awesome. And uh, what, what type of clients do you guys usually work with? So um, on the, um, on the kind of like high volume, scalable, secure side of things, you know, uh, anything ranging from. Uh, say, uh, uh, you know, artists and celebrities that we've worked with um, uh, for, for, you know, cases of like, you know, really high volume, really, um, uh, you know, sort of like uh, rapid sales and things like that. Um, two clients who, to your point, have like a lot of SKUs. They have a lot of, uh, um, um, you know, complexity around their front end, around navigation, user experience of such. You know, we have a client that they, they're in the soap making business and they have so many products, so many um, uh, ways that you can browse and find products that is extremely important. So we, we don't do graphical design, but we're very uh, proud of our work in terms of user experience. Um, and that's like something that we do. And then on the side of B2B, again, like anything like in terms of integration, ERPs, uh, WMSs uh, and things of that nature. Very cool. And where do you see where do you where do you see the Shopify ecosystem like going over the next year to two three years? So um, both you and I have been in the Shopify ecosystem for a while. So um, and I think that I've been you know sort of thinking that you know the way that the boom of like last couple of years made people think like things will always go that way. Uh, for me, it's never been that. I think that. You know, from the time that Shopify started putting like Shopify Plus partner agencies, figuring out a lot of things internally and externally for their partner ecosystem. I think that, you know, I've been seeing it like, you know, uh, law firms 
I think that there's going to be a lot of boutique firms that do a lot of cool things like, you know, um, small, medium like us. Uh, and then there's going to be like big law firms that like, you know, um, are giants and, you know, uh, it's, you know, complicated. I don't want to be in that business, but they are and they are successful at it. Like I hear like some agencies are now, you know, merging up and acquiring and they're like thousands of people. I don't know if I would want to be in that kind of an agency world. But to me, it's that. And I think that like one of the cool things that is going to still exist in the future in the Shopify world, because I don't see, uh, you know, anybody like overtaking them at least in the next few years in terms of like, you know, the Shopify, uh, sorry, the uh, e-commerce side of things is that there's going to be opportunity for every one of those categories. You know, um, I don't, again, understand that big agency side. I understand that there's a, you know, sort of a value to it. But for me, it's like the boutiques, the small ones, one or two people starting a theme or starting an app or like, you know, again, like I feel like, and, you know, and, and we're going towards the world of creators. Uh, so I think that creator world and the small entrepreneur world is going to like still thrive and do really well, which I'm very excited about. I have a lot of passion about uh, you know, that entrepreneurship spirit that people do have. Yeah. I think it's, it's really wild just to see like how, how media is becoming like the new oil. It's like the new currency that everyone's talking about. And the more media you have, the more attention you have, the more attention you have, the more you can do with that to make money. And, uh, you know, tying up, technology like Shopify and being able to tie it in with people that have leverage, celebrities, influencers, people, you know, that have influence to be able to sell things and build brands, I think is, you know, just the the opportunity is endless. Absolutely. And it's very early in its stages, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, look at where things have gone over the last 10 years, you know, just wait for another 10. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember... I was running, a, I started my first uh, e-commerce business back in 2010 and I built, it was an e-commerce wine business, so like a wine boutique wine, online wine club and uh, a wine shop. And we actually used a, um, a custom platform built for uh, wine e-commerce. It was called Vin65. And it was actually a, a company based out of British Columbia as well, out of BC. And uh, they built a whole backend CMS just for wine e-commerce. And then they got acquired by like a larger wine conglomerate. I'm not really sure where they're at. But uh, at the time, wasn't too many options. And I remember, I think it was 2013, I rebuilt the site in, in uh, Shopify. But it uh, was using Recharge early on. But uh, man, it's uh, it's it's wild to see where things have gone, just where things have gone, and and how you know the the boom of social and paid social, you know, and influencers has really been able to take things off. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And funny enough, Shopify is really focusing on wine these days. They really want to get more and more into regulated industry. Yeah, I know they're trying to get a lot more into their market. Yeah. And I think it's cool too. Now that the platforms opened up more, there's a lot of intricate options and and really business requirements that are necessary for like the wine industry, even being a boutique winery, you know, depending on what state you you have a per license in, you can only sell in certain states. Certain states require 
that you can only sell so much wine in a physical year period to, to one specific customer. So now you need all these permits and licenses for different states, and you need to be able to regulate how much you're actually selling and then collect taxes on those individual sales and then pay them to those individual states. It's just so wild how complicated it is. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, too, I, th I think it's I think it's awesome. And I think that's one thing that um, that always shocked me about the wine industry is they get stuck into these custom platforms and they really can't do any marketing because they're in some CMS that doesn't that doesn't allow them to build in a loyalty program to build in front end offers to build in landers to actually do things. So it'll be interesting what happens, you know, over the next couple of years as as compliance opens up more for for the wine, the beer industry when it comes to direct sales. Yeah, you make a really good point because those systems that were just meeting their requirements of the regulations, they don't do anything else. <laughs> and like there's no marketing really. Yeah. And you can't, yeah, you, the, the, the platform's closed off and, you know, if you want to do custom development and it's possible, then you've got to find a, a dev that actually has worked in that platform and can build something custom for you. And then of course, six, eight, nine months later, that platform makes an update and then all of a sudden something doesn't work and you've got to give that developer a call back. You know, it's kind of like, you know, what we've seen with, you know, WordPress over the last, you know, 10 years is like you build this beautiful site in WordPress and it runs really great one day. And then the next day, you know, plugins are all out of date. WordPress has an update. Things are crashing and broken. And you're like, and none of your, none of your customizations works with your upgrades, right? It was the problem of Magento as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's so unstable. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and same with Magento. Yeah, yeah. Well, where I think I think in the next ten years we're not going to have a lot of development done on the you know um, on the uh, merchant side. I think like you know back end we're replacing with low code and no code and and we've been seeing that coming for years you know Microsoft Azure Logic Apps was one of the first things that you know really like amazed me and now it's like everywhere and then on the front end you see these like you know um, 2.0 themes and like where it's going so to your point from where you were like really stuck and beholden to development versus where you're going which is like all about marketing and connecting with your customer and you know really like you know doing the things that people should be able to do and not be holding to development. That's, I think, like where it's going. So the, us who do development, we should be focused on developing systems for those people to use in that way. Yeah. Totally. It's almost like no, no code. It just means now we're building more no developers are now just building more no code for non-developers, right? Instead of, instead of holding people's hands behind their back. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. That's what we tell our clients too. Anytime we're doing any front end work, like, Hey, I want to be able to give you a site that you don't have to call and make any changes unless you really want to make changes. That's it. Yeah. What do you think about, um, like just talking about, you know, front end web and development and web apps in general, like, what do you think about, um, 
what do you think about some of these other no-code platforms out there? I know we're going to talk a little bit outside of Shopify, but I'm curious if you've used any of these no-code platforms like Bubble that essentially allow you to build, you know, anything on the back end of the internet. Yeah, um, I, I'm a huge fan, been a fan for many years as a backend developer, which is funny to be a fan because it's like essentially replacing the need for me. But, um, you know, been using um, using it a lot. I mean, you know, and, and the key thing is like there's no one platform that is going to win this, right? I'm going to, you know, go sideways a little bit, but like same thing with Metaverse. Everybody like, you know, doesn't know what it is. They think, you know, they thought Facebook would win it. But the thing is, it's not one platform. So you have like, uh, Zapiers of the world, you have even like for home stuff, the IFTTT, if this, then that platform, it was like all those ones. And then now there's like, to your point, Bubble, there's like Google has AppSheet, there's like you know, Shopify has Flow, um, you know, you look at like even like, you know, platforms that are up and coming and, and doing really well, like Gorgeous and Clavio, like they have like, you know, automations like, you know, built into it. So I think it's like, you know, really dispersed among these uh, tools and it's going to be. Uh, but I really recommend for people to fine tune like what what they do with these automations and, and find like the platforms that fits them best, because you'll see like with a couple of like automations like that, all of a sudden you see how much time your team saves and and, and uh, you know how much better it is. <laughs> totally. That efficiency and just being able to make sure you can streamline these workflows and automations, I think are huge from from anything. I mean. Even it's it's funny, I, I've seen some guys that are like just building automations for like, hey, if someone tags, if an influencer tags uh, your product in a, in a story, they'll pull the story, right? So you can then share, save that asset on your own drive and then use it for marketing purposes later on. Because if you don't do that, it's going to be gone in, you know, 24 hours regardless. So that's a really, that's a really good um automation right there you know um in terms of pulling data like there's another example of that you know um like in the past building a data warehouse was such an enterprise thing and now you anybody essentially can go and use something like fivetran or um, uh, a stitch data and connect their shopify store and their yachtpo reviews and their clavio and everything into a google bigquery which costs nothing for like you know um, a lot of data. And then now all of a sudden you can interact with that data warehouse that you have in terms of marketing. Because data warehouses of the past, it was like you build an enterprise massive thing. And then like, you know, you build some reports and dashboards for some people to look at it. And hopefully it has an effect on like your next year's goals. But today you can have that to your point, be pulling data that then you can use for your marketing. And um, in an example, we use, for example, the uh, all of the metrics of our clients' products to then do customized sorting based on, you know, profits, based on availability of inventory across sizes and things like that. So, so I feel like, you know, there's so much you can do with data when you now can have access to it. Yeah, yeah, and I think you nailed it. Like, it's definitely one thing, I think, just in from small and medium-sized brands in general that struggle with is how to aggregate the data properly and actually make some educated decisions off of it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm so stoked to have this conversation with you. This has been great. 
what else what else is what else is going on for you guys like where where do you guys see your you guys yourselves as a company like over the next couple of years so um so i feel um like you know for us to have uh, we've built um, really great products for our clients over the you know last however many years and we wanted to build our own which we are doing now which is very exciting but also what's been exciting for us is that you know um we've like during the pandemic we became like a sort of a distributed team and now we have people across canada and us and one of the key things that we have now is we have more resources in terms of you know marketing um you know, customer experience, like, you know, uh, data even, and, and things of that nature that now I think that we can even uh, do better with our agency. And, and, and you know, uh, so I'm very excited about both sides because I think that we have a lot of exciting things planned for 2023 on the agency side and our products are finally getting some, you know, traction. They're getting out there. We're getting installs, which is very exciting. So that's like essentially what we're looking forward to. And I think the things that we spend time building expertise in which is like cross-border, 3D, um, uh, uh, privacy compliance, data warehousing, things like that. I think it's like now it's going to start showing up as like requirements for people who want to do. Because again, we've always been like in the long run, what do, you, what do we think merchants need? For sure. No, I, I hear you on that. And I'm, I'm curious, you bring up like data and compliance. What are some things that you guys have been working on with some of your clients to just make sure that brands are within compliance when it, when they're going cross borders or into different areas, you know, now with, you know, with GDPR, CCPA, Canadian regulations, like it doesn't matter. Hey, you can be a brand based out of, you know, based out of Texas or California, wherever it is, but you need to make sure that you're in compliance if you're selling in these other areas. What do you guys do to make sure that clients are in full compliance? Uh, absolutely. So first thing is to have a data map. You really need to know in today's world, to your point, if you're in Texas and you sell in California and you have California customers, CCPA applies to, right? And if you have like Europeans visiting your site, that applies to you. And Canadian regulations coming into effect is going to be the strictest of them three. And, you know, and it's not that difficult. Once you know it, it's like it, it can be manageable. So it will be in your benefit to invest in planning for it. The way to plan for it, first off, is to have a data map, uh, which is, you know, you, when a customer hits your website and starts interacting, you really need to know where their data is going. Uh, because, again, in today's world, you have multiple systems that take the customer data uh, uh, for you. And with that, then you can plan the the uh, rules of requests that you need to, um, um, you know, sort of uh, comply with. So there's one easy request, which is on the site, which is cookie banner. You need to have your cookies listed and then the customer can like, you know, opt out. That's easy. There's apps for it. And then it's a very straightforward thing. Shopify has really good documentation on it. The next step of that is the requests that residents of these uh, regions can do, which is like, you know, delete my info, request my info. You have to know what's the requirements around these. And for our clients, we help automate it because, you know, you have to have two points of verification. I can't just go on a site and say, hey, you know, delete Mark's data and then they should comply. Like that's, you have to prevent that. So there's two points of verification. Then you have to gather the data. You need to give it to them in a way that it's available for them to download in 30 days. 
you know, things like that. It's not complicated, but once you know it, you can implement processes for it. What we do is like we help automate it for our clients who get a lot of these requests. Like, for example, there's one in California called Do Not Sell My Information, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's like the way that it's worded is really bad because people are confused on it and they think like, you know, oh, this company is selling my information. So we get a lot of requests for that. So automating it definitely will be helpful um, because, uh, you know, sort of like it takes away a lot of like uh, manual work. Very cool. Is there anything else that you'd recommend that merchants should be looking at like on the horizon um, as we go into the next few months when it comes to the back end of Shopify, compliance, anything like that? Is there anything that you guys are you are noticing maybe on the on the trending side for back end that people should be looking at? Yeah, so I think um, two things comes to my mind. You pick <laughs> which one, and I can go, uh, you know, talk about it. One is um, uh, cross-border uh, and duties and taxes paid uh, orders, and then the other one is, um, um, you know, sort of like the way that you know uh, customer relationship with like uh, brands are changing, and and I think that customer service is now the new way of selling and building on that relationship. So so like those are the two things that I see that people uh, uh, need to really focus on, in my opinion, in 2023. For sure. Let's talk, let's talk about cross-border because, you know, any, anyone that's selling cross-border knows it's a pain in the ass to take care of it. I mean, if you're selling to Europe and uh, you don't have the infrastructure set up to be able to collect, you know, the VAT ahead of time, someone's not getting their order. If you're, if you're in Italy and you order from California, they're not going to get their order until they pay that. And there's going to be some additional fees associated with it. There's always back and forth. Things get held up. It's just the pain. What do you see brands do to really combat that right now? So, so my recommendation generally is that start with one extra country that you want to do duties and taxes paid or just a few. People are like, oh, I'm going to go cross-border. Let's do 50 countries. <laughs> like, okay, that's like a really like hard thing to take on. Um, but find out which countries you, you really care about and look at your data to understand which one of your customers would benefit the most from having the packaged uh, uh, um, goods that you're selling them arrive at their home without them having to deal with anything. Then second thing is learn the rules. Shopify now provides duties and taxes calculation but it would really benefit you to really understand it. And understanding it, it's like, a, it has a learning curve, but it's not that hard. So understanding the rules of like uh, DDP, DDU, what are the limits for each country? So for example, uh, off the top of my head, like, you know, uh, Israel and Australia have like a low um, a maximum. So like you go over a certain amount, you can't uh, ship duties and taxes paid anymore. So there's like those rules that like you, you can learn, right? And it's not hard to learn. Learn that about the countries you want to start with and gather your HS codes, which is the categorization for your products, country of origin, figure that out. It's not hard to do for uh, your products. Then, in my opinion, the best approach you can have is find a career that you want to work with and, and deal with them as your partner. Build those relationships because they have people who are experts that have educated us even in implementation with our, with our uh, clients. Because when the customers order from you and get the package at their home without a signature needed, without them having to go to the post office and pay, uh, they will love you for it. And you can charge them accordingly at the time of uh, purchase, 
with Shopify's tools. That's awesome. Also, when it comes to cross-border, how do you recommend uh, brands set things up? Subdomain sites, like one main root domain, what do you guys do and what do you recommend? So if, there, if there's not enough differentiation between the uh, regions, because some people have different warehouses, different you know, um, rules and things of that nature for their own business, then you might have to set up like different you know, uh, stores. But if not, um, I think it's worth the cost of going with Shopify markets. Because Shopify markets is like, you know, it makes it really easy to manage. And there might be a time that you can separate the sites. But in my opinion, you know, at this point in time, for most people, that makes sense. Well, Hossein, thanks so much for everything today. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in working with you guys at, at Zatel? Yeah, I'll um, um, leave my email, which is Hossein, H-O-S-S-E-I-N at Satel.ca. So S-A-T-E-L dot C-A. And also you can contact us from our website. Give us a call. Uh, we're here in Vancouver, but nowadays we're here in all of Canada and, and we're in L.A. as well. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to hearing from people and um, having good chats. That's awesome. I'll also put that information in the show notes so everyone has it below when this episode goes live. But Thank you. Thank you. And if any merchants like of like that listen to your podcast wanted to try together, we can also give them like a, a six month trial as well, and like you know to hear like good feedback from them. Sweet. We'll we'll definitely put a link to the Together app in there as well. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate everything today. This has been great.